Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon. Joey Klein again with an episode of Tech Talk. We've got three great Atlanta technology companies that we're going to talk to today, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, so first, we've got John Peake, who's the CEO of both Candid Partners and ReactorWorks. Uh, thanks for having me, Joey. Absolutely. Uh, next up, we're going to talk to Alex Cardwell, who's product marketing at Smarp. Hey, Joey. Excited to be here. And uh, finally, Marshall Mosier, CEO of Vestigo. What's up, guys? Great to be here. Excellent. Okay, so as we always do, we're going to go uh, alphabetical by company. Um, so we're going to start off with John first. So, John, you have the distinction of being the CEO of two companies. Mm-hmm. That's um, correct. Correct. So um, we're going to talk about kind of how that developed. Um, I think the logical place to start is to discuss the general industry you're in or your specialty, at least, which is cloud computing. Yes, that's correct. So this is um, – you know, I'm sure at this point that most people, even walking through an airport, see some sort of ad for some sort of cloud computing platform. Um, and they get some, you know, uh, they're marketed to for cloud storage. And probably a third of us being generous actually know what any of this means. So give the layperson listening to this podcast um, a 101 course in what cloud computing is. Okay, I'll do my best here. So. I mean, I should say that this is the year that cloud has gone mainstream, so that's why you're now seeing all that stuff. But, um, you know, cloud is, is essentially uh, an, an organization taking all of their infrastructure and putting it up into, into the cloud, which a cloud essentially is their, their data centers that are managed by um, cloud platform providers, of which there really are three. That's, that's AWS, Google cloud, Pla- Google cloud Platform, and Azure by Microsoft. And, um, you know, the idea is that enterprises don't need to manage their, their infrastructure anymore. There's, there's a certain level of automation and elasticity and infinite resources with these providers so that you, you don't need to worry about managing your data center and, and expanding upon it. And, and the other important point about cloud is cloud also um, implies that you can now provision infrastructure by writing software code. And so that's a very key distinction is that wasn't really possible up until these cloud providers kind of came into into um, into business. Okay, but if 2019 is the year the cloud has gone, quote-unquote, mainstream, that means that Candid Partners has been in this universe for far longer. Mm-hmm. So how did this happen, and how were you so far ahead of the curve? Uh, you know, it was really kind of born out of desperation. Um, we started using cloud because we, we worked one of our, really our anchor client here in Atlanta, um, they're a consumer products company and, um, they did a lot of marketing campaigns and those marketing campaigns would have tremendous spikes if often tied to like a, a television ad, um, or some sort of campaign. And you would need a, a really a massively elastic infrastructure to be able to, to scale to support campaigns like that. And frankly, we had a couple initiatives that did not go well. And when it, when a company like this, and it's, it's very much a name brand, it's a top 10 brand. Uh, company that you, you everyone here would recognize, but they had some campaigns that they spent millions of dollars in advertising. And the campaigns, in, in a couple of cases, did not go so well because the infrastructure could not handle the capacity. And that that was the the trigger that made us say, "How can we deal with this problem?" And so we that's when we looked at AWS because you know they they have massive infrastructure to support all their shopping online, and we and they've converted that into cloud. And we're like, "All right, we're going to take advantage of some of that capacity." 
Okay, so so this is how you were born, and now this is what you do as a full time job. You know, born out of basically an unintended consequence of this uh, consulting gig that you were on. Okay, mm-hmm. so you do this for um, you know Fortune five hundred for sizable companies. One would think that organizations like that would not have to bring in a consultant for this, right? One would think that they would be able to have this sort of expertise within their own technology departments. Why is that not the case? No, that's completely not the case. It's, it's new. It's, it's emerging. It's emerging technology and it's very highly specialized. So you actually do. And, and frankly, like we learned a lot, like on that first project. I'm not going to lie. So that's, that was about seven years ago. And that's where we really picked up our cloud skills and we've continued to hone and evolve those skills. But any company, and this is the interesting thing I'm seeing about cloud, I'm actually seeing an increased number of cloud project and program failures now. And it's because cloud has not now gone mainstream and companies are, are trying to use it really at scale. And there's a dearth of, of, of really highly specialized skills to be able to help them. And, and so it's, it's, it's making matters worse at this point. How do you identify a potential client that is cognizant enough that they need help? Right, because I would imagine that there's a lot of groups that might come to you sort of after they've already failed. So mm-hmm. how do you get in with someone uh, before that happens? Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that's, that's uncommon. <laughs> so the large enterprises, Fortune 500, they typically have They've typically experimented and, and realized that the cloud is viable, and then they're trying to go at scale. So they're trying to do a program or even an enterprise-level initiative, and a lot of times they have false, start, false starts. I mean, I would say anecdotally about 60% of cloud, like enterprise-level cloud initiatives, fail. That, that's what I'm seeing right now. And, and again, that's an increasing number. And uh, what I am seeing is I'm seeing mid-sized companies that are a little, little more progressive, a little more tech-savvy. I'm seeing some of those, those enterprises go, oh, we need to bring somebody in. Right away, so we have we have a few two to three billion dollar client clients, and that's mid size for us. And those guys are coming straight to us and saying, "We're not going to embark on this without cloud specialization." And so, but I would say the, the big companies, there's a bit of a bravado, and they can they can solve all their problems, and and they're the ones that are having a lot of experience and a lot of pain. Yep. Um, but of course, the, the the first situation you mentioned, which they come to you first, they've already been a client. Right. They, they recognize your oh, yeah. value. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's unfortunately, it sounds like a bit of a chicken and the egg issue. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, uh, when we introduced you, we also mentioned another company of which you are CEO. So, are you just the hardest working guy in this room? Um, tell me a little bit more about Reactor Works. I, I delegate heavily, I assure you. Okay. Uh, no. So, so Reactor Works is a company and, and really the, it's a software company and the product is what we're calling a, it's essentially a DevOps firewall. And I'll try to define that as best as I can. So, and especially in light of the recent Capital One breach, what we do is we, we have a product that you can install and it essentially provides a firewall for your, your DevOps teams that are moving infrastructure to cloud that prevents them from doing anything insecure and unsafe and enforces enterprise level standards so that, so that they're not doing anything out of the norm or the standard of, of the, that the company wants. And, and this is essential. And this is an interesting thing is like, no enterprise, I feel like, very few companies realize they actually need this functionality. So there's, there's a lot of companies out there that are bringing an army of consultants, and they're trying to move as much stuff to cloud as possible. But you know what? Incredibly unsafe. If you don't have what is literally a firewall, so you think about a network firewall, nothing malicious can, malicious can get in, but nothing malicious can get out either. And it's the same concept. You do not want anyone within your entire enterprise deploying, provisioning stuff in the cloud, moving applications to the cloud 
they can do something unsafe. You literally should be able to completely block that. And there's a level of automation that the cloud now provides that allows you that. But I don't think companies out there realize that there's now this capability. And it's very nascent industry, Mm -hmm. but you're going to start seeing software products provide more of this capability going forward. And so I'm assuming that this technology was born of, of course, experiences that you at Candid Partners had while mm-hmm. on consulting. Absolutely. Case. It's a spin out. And it's a spin out of the anchor, anchor client um, that we had. And, and they're, look, hats off to them. And our Fortune 100 company here in Atlanta, they have had no problems. They moved, we, we took them from 0% to 100% in cloud in the course of six years. They have had no security breaches. Wow. The worst they've had is a, a DDoS attack, which they shut off in about an hour. And well, that's that's remarkable for for a company in the order of closer close to I think they're over a billion dollar, uh, hundred billion dollar market cap. Well, and and it's more incredible when we have just become so accustomed to, um, you know, it's 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 incredible to me now that I think we live in a world where we expect our data to not be safe. Mm-hmm. Right. That that is just the the cost. If anyone, and I understand that this has to do with, you know, customer data as well as a company's own data, but we live in a world right now where it's just, we know that if we're going to take advantage of, um, you know, what e-commerce, uh, mobile computing, um, anything where we're putting our information out there, that there's a likelihood that that might get stolen. Um, but it's, I'm not sure if we're all making the uh, calculation of it's worth it, so to speak, but by doing so, we decide, okay, it's worth it. I'd rather have the convenience. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's unavoidable at this point. Unless yeah. there's legislation that prevents it, they're, the companies are going to do this. I mean, I, from my standpoint, cloud is far more secure than, than on-prem. I mean, fundamentally, you, you can limit your blast radius by putting things in cloud. It's just the way things are architected. And so if there is a breach, it's, it's, it, could be, it could be localized far better than the way companies have traditionally um, put data in the cloud. And the other important thing is that we've done an, done analysis, and I would say 90% of the major breaches you've seen over the past couple of years mm-hmm. are on-prem. So you mm-hmm. think of Equifax versus Cap1. Yeah. Equifax is all on-prem, and you're, you, there's far more of those than, than kind of the Cap1 experience. Interesting. I imagine that's a pretty good uh, case study for you guys to get out there with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think people realize it, so we do have to, yeah. we have to educate people on that. So one of the things that I, I find interesting to discuss on the show, especially with entrepreneurs, is the culture that they have created. Um, if you go on Glassdoor for Candid Partners, you guys have a 4.7 out of 5. Um, and that's not just because you only have you know one or two people who have gone on there to comment. You have a sizable number um, of folks who have gone on there to talk you know really good things about Candid Partners. So why do people like working there so much? And now that you are establishing a new company within – how do you transfer that culture to this new organization? Yeah, that's a very good question. So we are, uh, we've been told that we have the strongest culture that, that people have seen. And I've had some, some very senior executives say that. So hopefully that's a good thing. But, um, you, know, you know, you can see it in, in our name. And we are brutally transparent and honest with people and, um, and with our clients in particular, but also with our employees. And so we're, we're a company where people that want to come and Really bang out the language or bang out the, the, the delivery and, um, uh, on, you know, on consulting. And they've been in the industry for a long time, so they don't want to be micromanaged. And, um, you know, and that, that's very much, we're very much a known as a delivery, um, focused company. So our, you know, one of our taglines is actions, actions speak louder than advice. And so you got a lot of consulting companies out there that just want to, want to hand you a PowerPoint deck. We, d- we deliver 
on a fixed price, we deliver very sophisticated software systems. That's that's what we do. And people people love that. We've really developed a reputation for that. And also with our clients, you know, we're we're really owned by two it's me and my uh, business partner own the company. So we're not beholden to anyone. We don't have investors. Um, we're beholden to our clients and our and our employees. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's not a lot of other people that are demanding that we we deliver a certain amount of revenue or profit. And that enables us to walk away from bad businesses. It enables us to tell our clients the truth, even uh, even if there are, could potentially be some sort of repri- reprisal because they don't want to hear s- some of the things we have to say. But you know what? That's important to me. And that's why we built this company. It's like, I want to be as honest as possible with our clients. We're not the guys that you hire to keep their heads ducked out, ducked down below, <laughs> below the gunfire when, the, when uh, things get ugly in an enterprise. And inevitably, with these kind of nin- initiatives, you always have very pain, very painful political um, situations. And so we're the guys you bring in that are going to have those difficult discussions and broker those diff- difficult discussions. And so in talking about how matter works, um, you know, it was, it was a carve out. So that culture, you know, and both companies are located on the same floor. So they're sister companies and, you know, they're, they're complementary. They each sell the other other's product. Mm-hmm. So I think that that culture is just permeated both i think just by virtue of the fact that it's a carve out that that culture has continued and the managing partners that this is you've 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 met me be, you know we've sat down and had a long conversation so yep. you know i'm pretty pretty pointed and and uh you know and forthcoming about my opinions <laughs> yeah absolutely and and look i think that that is no matter what business you're in that honesty and candor it might turn some people off but frankly those are people that you probably don't want to be doing business with anyway um, it generally just makes the world run a little bit easier when you can get straight to the point. And, you know, look, the, the best friends that you have in the world are the ones who are honest with you. Um, yeah. and I think that goes the same for a client partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's a very specific culture fit and not everyone at, frankly, a lot of people aren't a great fit. Like my expectation is people stand up and put themselves forth and speak honestly and open, openly with client and be proactive. Mm-hmm. So, and that takes a certain kind of person. Well, but I think it also probably does a lot to boost uh, morale inside because I think what a lot of people experience are that they are beholden to someone else's view, uh, beholden to someone else's schedule and don't really have a voice of their own. Um, I think it can be very freeing to have that autonomy to speak your mind, even if you're not the head of the company. Well, they absolutely, they feel empowered to say what needs to be said, and I've got their back. Yeah. The management has their back, and that's absolutely true. And, and it is. It's very liberating. For, for, the, for that kind of per- person, um, it's very liberating. And, it's, and we've gotten, at this point, a lot of cachet in the Atlanta area. So we're the, we're the place you can go and bang out your work and not have to deal with too much politics. You can, you can, you can be honest about where, where things stand. And some very, very technically savvy people are really now kind of gravitating to- toward, towards our company, which is great. Well, so, so let's talk about Atlanta. Um, at the end of the day, this, this show is somewhat of my business love letter to Atlanta um, and all that we are doing right and some things that we're doing wrong. Um, but you guys are located right across from Tech Square. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Tech Square has gone through um, an evolution uh, since you've been there and certainly since I've been in this city. But is that coincidence? Do you guys just like Midtown and you happen to be across from Georgia Tech or is there a strategic reason why you're across from that campus? Uh, I'd love to say the, the latter, but it's, it's just <laughs> dumb luck. Uh, it really is. And, yeah. you know, in being in the Biltmore since inception, we started seven years ago on Candid Partners and Matter just started last year. But since Candid started, I would say that there's 15 major skyscrapers that have gone up in, in about five blocks of us. So it's, it's great to see happening. And I'm loving that, that, that mid, Midtown is becoming 
almost like a tech central place in Atlanta. Um, it's really helped us. It, it is pretty incredible. I, I lived in Midtown about eight years ago and um, would con- consistently pass by just vacant parking lot after vacant parking lot. And now it is unrecognizable in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you are uh, you're now Reactor is Reactor Works the company and Matter is the piece of technology. That, that is correct. Okay, so are you in the process where you are staffing up this new venture, or are you taking people who have kind of shown that they can transition roles from Candid Partners to Reactor Works? Yeah, or no, both? yeah, well, a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, the original tech team came out of there. But we need to build um, a more extensive sales organization and a product development organization. Really, I should call them functions. Yep. And uh, we need to expand those functions. Um, yeah, and that's, that is going to be the focus for the next 12 months. Okay. Okay, so that is um, why you, of course, now – you are extremely focused on that now calling yourself the CEO of Reactor Works yeah, as well. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, okay. Um, what else should we talk about? So I'm, I'm interested as to – how you get kind of classified as, you know, an, an official cloud partner, you know, for platforms like AWS. Mm-hmm. Um, is there some sort, because obviously that is a pedigree that you use to go out um, and uh, get more work from your current clients, get new clients. So what is, is there an evaluation process? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's partner levels okay. and, um, you know, both on a consulting and product side. And, uh, you know, so we've gone through that process. We're an advanced partner with AWS and I don't remember the specific terms for the other platforms, but, you know, we're partners with all three major cloud platform providers. And uh, honestly, we, we had invested pretty heavily in that about two and a half years ago. So it, it, um, it, it basically endorses you in, in a certain level. But mm-hmm. the way our, we're fairly unique as a company in that we do business development directly with very large enterprises. And we haven't found that the partner, partner relationship um, uh, is really driving sales for either companies really? yeah, which is interesting because they kind of they kind of pitch a, hey you become a partner you go through this this kind of these different level partner levels and we're going to give you all these great opportunities it's we're selling to very large enterprises and that that sales process is is very complex mm-hmm. and it's a nine to 12 month um engagement before you really get a master services agreement and you, you get work and uh frankly we're for we're more advanced in many ways than a lot of these cloud platform providers so we've we don't take a partner partner led approach. It is purely us doing business development of our companies. So this actually reminds me of a point that we discussed when we uh, first met a couple of months ago. Um, we talked about recruiting, and you've already touched a little bit upon how you know it's you're tough. It's, it is tough to get into the organization. You're looking for a very specific type of person. One of those qualities was someone who can be a consultant but also be technical at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be complicated to find that extremely unique mix of person. And one, of course, who is comfortable uh, kind of standing up and you know giving their own opinion to a multi-billion dollar company, like you just said. So what, what is the process like for finding that fit? so that you can go out and properly sell your services and know that you're delivering the best people for that client? I mean, number number one way is work your network. Have everyone in the company work their network. It's all like people that you know, absolutely. And uh, I mean, sometimes we just could do direct recruiting. Some of the best people we found is just cold call recruiting. But um, I mean, the best way is, is, the, is the, the network. And then uh, we take them through a very rigorous interview process. And then the other thing is, is uh, we're very transparent about who, like the people that are successful in our company and who aren't. 
Like it's not helpful to bring somebody in that they last six months. And we're a team of eight players. And I tell people straight up, you know, I, it's funny, it's ironic. I had an interviewee earlier this week. I said, you have to be an A player. You have to work hard. And, uh, you know, we have a very, we have small teams of highly skilled people. So we have a, what I call a diamond shaped staffing model, which is the person at the bottom of the diamond is the most junior person. They're probably like a really good 27, 28 year old Georgia Tech grad that is an amazing coder, maybe a little bit weak on consulting. That's the weakest person on the team that we provide, on the teams we provide. And I, I, I tell them that. And I literally had a candidate this week that after I, I told him, I'm like, you got to, you're going to have to be an A player. You're going to have to be really good. You're going to have to learn really quickly because what we do, we're innovators. And we do things that no other company does on that level of innovation. He literally, in the interview, he backed out. Like, he's like, this, I don't think I'm prepared to do this. And I'm like, I really appreciate you, your honesty. Yeah. Because that's exactly what I want to have. That's what you're going for. Yeah. And frankly, good on that person for having the self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, frankly, I scare him a little bit in the interview. But, yeah. like, if if they're confident, and that's that's one of the – that's one of the – um ways you kind of gauge somebody is is suited for your company because like i said we're we there's a very specific profile for of person that that works well in our company and if they work well they love our company as you've seen from glassdoor yeah yeah so where where are we where are we in the baseball game of cloud right if, if 2019 was the year that everyone started to hear about it are we still in the first inning of this no um when it went mainstream it's second inning okay but you know i, I had an interesting discussion with gartner um at reInvent, the, the AWS um, conference. And uh, he said that just what's being spent right now is basically 10% of what ultimately is going to be spent or are going to be spent in about five years. So it's very, very early stage. Um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that obviously means a ton of opportunity. It sounds like this is something that you've seen for a long time and now it's kind of finally coming to, well, not necessarily coming to fruition because you have certainly been doing well, but the larger market in general is starting to take notice. Oh yeah, it's uh, this is going to be one of those major tran- transformations. It's like you know, you know, it's like the advent of the internet almost. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a gen- let me put it this way: it's going to be once in a generation type transformation for for enterprises from a technology standpoint. And are you primarily working throughout the southeast, or you guys are national? Uh, interesting question. We've been we had been very Atlanta focused up until last year, and then we started getting southeast, and now literally in the past couple months. We have opportunities nationally, and that's it's it's just interesting. It's it's really picking up. Well, I mean, look, I, th- I think the way these things go, no matter whether you're talking about a business or whether you're talking about an individual salesperson within a business, you 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 do the work, you put your head down for many years, and you know you get opportunities close to you, and then all the stuff you've put out there in the universe, whether it's um, you know whether you want to call it karma, luck, good work, whatever it is, it, it generally kind of seems to come from directions that you didn't know was going to come when you least expect it to. Yeah, that, that's true. It's like you can be under under the radar and then then just something in the, in the industry pops and, you know, it's the, the time is ripe now suddenly and it's really popping. Well, look, it's like you've done enough assignments, you know enough people, you have no idea what the conversations that those people are having with their networks in uh, that you can't hear because, you know, you're, you're not in the room and, you know, things kind of, they take on a life of their own, right? And eventually mm-hmm. they kind of come back and that's where you really see the fruits of your labor. Yeah, it's good. And, and like, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we've been very consistent grower, the can of partner side, certainly. Over the last seven years, and like one nice side note that we found out this week is we made Inc. Five Thousand for the fifth year in a row. We're one of fifteen Atlantic or fifteen Georgia companies to ever ever have done that. 
So I love the fact that it's consistent, steady growth. Um, but I do see that maybe in the next 12 months, we'll, we'll, it'll, we'll maybe pop a little bit more rather yeah. than that kind of, you know, steady flat line, uh, kind of on, on a slope. Maybe it'll, maybe we'll get a, a good bit of a spike. We'll see. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got that on tape. <laughs> Congra- congratulations again. Shameless plug. That's, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what this is for, right? All right. <laughs> so if someone is listening to this and, um, they're wondering if your services can be of use, what would you tell them on what they should be looking for, for why they should call Candid Partners, Reactor Works, Matter, all the above? Honestly, if they're trying to do any t- kind of strategic program or enterprise level cloud initiative, that's, that's what we do, both companies. And, and they're very, again, they're very complementary products. So you're going to need specialization from a services standpoint to be able to get there. And then, you know, there's, there's you know, Matter is, is basically already established and proven mm-hmm. existing um, software that provides that DevOps firewall so that on, on day one, when you start your cloud initiative, nobody's going to do anything dangerous um, that's, that's going to cause like a breach that, that has a hundred hundred million dollar impact or, or similar like that. So and, right. and th- both those pieces are necessary for you to be successful. Okay. And if they want to take the next step of getting in contact with you, how do they do that? You can go to candidpartners.com and uh and there's contact information on on that site or for for matter, it's matter.cloud. Okay. Fantastic. John, thanks a lot for coming by. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. Okay. Alex, we are moving on. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Enjoying never been to this, never been to this part of Atlanta yet. So, uh, exciting. So, uh, Alex, Alex is a newbie to the city. Mm-hmm. You've been here three weeks. Is that right? Three, just about three weeks. Yeah. Coming up on actually, I think three weeks and two days, maybe. So yeah, still very new to the city. Every, every new day is a special one in which you discover something new about the city, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I love, I love just kind of, I, I live in Midtown, so I love kind of walking up uh, to Piedmont Park, going up and down the Belt Line, just discovering new things. So love it. Urban Explorer. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about how you ended up at Atlanta, but first let's take a step back mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about SMARP, okay, which sure. is spelled for everyone listening out there, S like Sam, M like Mary, A R P like Paul, if you want to. Uh, Google it by chance. Okay, so you know you can go on your website um, and you know look at headlines that uh, you know have inside and outside communications from different employees. Um, but can you really help us understand exactly what Smart does in terms of both harnessing internal and external communications from an employee? Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, essentially, we are a employee communications tool. And what we what we specialize in is, like you said, is this uh, bridging of kind of the internal and external communications. And if you look at our head, uh, headline on our website, it reads that reach every employee with relevant communications. So the way we do that in our kind of philosophy to communication is if you think about the way we communicate in our personal lives, it, it's changed. It's changed a lot. So whereas we used to have to go out and kind of look for information, now information tends to find us. If you think about any major newsworthy thing that happened in the last few years, most likely you didn't go out and find that information or that piece of news. Your Maybe your news app buzzed. Maybe somebody messaged you on Facebook or whatever other communications channel you're using. So information really tends to find us. 
Uh, but that hasn't really translated to our professional lives just yet. We're still stuck in kind of using a lot of email. Uh, we're using a lot of intranets. Uh, I think uh, a lot of companies are now starting to bring in chat. So tools like, uh, like Slack and, and whatnot, uh, that are helping kind of ease that pain. But we're still relying uh, heavily on tools that were basically developed in the 70s, 80s, 90s uh, to solve communications issues that are inherently modern and kind of pertain to how we communicate these days. So what we try to do is instead of you having to go dig through your emails, you having to dig through your intranet or some kind of filing system uh, for you know relevant pieces of content or, or learning materials or whatever, we bring that to you. So you, we basically try to make it so that you get the information you need to be successful at your job before you even know you need it. And this is valuable to an organization because it lessens the friction of uh, employees going to search for valuable information on their own. Right. Um, I would imagine you know you're working for a large Fortune 500. You're sitting there and you're wondering anything from. Where can I find information on benefits to where can I find information on leadership development programs within the company? Let's say you've been there for three months. You have no idea where to start and where to go. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so, uh, on average, uh, I can't remember the, the source of this research, but on average, and the average knowledge worker spends about two and a half hours a day searching for information. If you add that up, that's, uh, that's over a day a week or that, that's, you know, about a week every month and you know you start you start bleeding out uh bleeding out valuable resources people that people are spending on searching for information so uh what we try to do is you know and we kind of the way smart works is we take what we know about you as an employee so for example your role your department your location even the languages you speak uh and we take what we know about the content so you know is it a blog is it a job opening is it the bu quarterly business results is it you know a personal update uh and we feed all of that through smart and what comes out is just a feed uh of relevant information so you know you can easily, you know, what, what we like to say is, uh, at least for all of our employees and, and all of the, all the companies that use our tool is like best practices to once you can, once you come into work in the morning, you kind of open smart, you have a fresh feed of, of all the relevant things that have happened in the last, you know, 24 hours or so. And you're, you know, instantly up to date. So that's really the, the principle. Okay. So is it. Is the smart, okay, let, let's say that we're using this at JLL, okay? So as a broker, is the smart that I see when I open my computer every morning different than someone who's in accounting? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and uh, there's a few ways we do this. So typically when we start a new project with, uh, uh, with, a, with a client, what we can do is you, you're probably using some kind of user management tool, whether that's Active Directory, whether you're using Google or some other kind of system. Uh, we can plug into that pull out all the information and all the attributes you have on your your employees and kind of feed them through smart and build like an intelligent distribution system so the way smart the principle in which smart smart works is uh we have channels so say we can have our you know marketing channel we have our sales channel we have mm -hmm. our but then we have our helsinki of interest channel or our atlanta you know meeting recordings channel or something like that so so we can take what we know about the employees and we feed them through our, we write a, a simple script for it that, that, you know, 
puts people into the correct channels. And then you know that, say, the meeting recording for our last you know, strategy project. Uh, I put it into the strategy team channel. I put it into the meeting recordings channel. And then I know that everybody that needs to see that is going to see that, uh, that piece of information. Okay. So clearly it can be used for internal communication. What about external communication? Right. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So basically the way, and, and maybe for a, a little bit of context here, the way SMARP initially uh initially took off was we operated in a space called employee advocacy and what employee advocacy essentially means is you as a company you're you're creating a lot of great content uh but not enough people are seeing it so why not use your employees to share it to their own networks so say the marketing team comes out with a new blog or a video or something like that typically uh well depending on the company of course but your employees will have on average a uh, 10 times broader network on social than you as a company. So now rather than sharing it, well, of course you should share it on your company channel. So say your, your co- corporate LinkedIn account that has say, you know, uh, 10,000 followers, uh, that's, that's great. That's 10,000 eyeballs you ca- you might get on the content, but now you take, you know, your 10,000 employees, each of them has on average, you know, 900 contacts. You can get, a, even if you only get like a third of those to share it, that's still a way, a way broader reach. And, um, so we, that's essentially how we approach the idea of external communication. So still, even today, as we are more and more moving towards, uh, you know, internal and communications in general, uh, I like to call it hybrid communications. We don't, we don't call it anywhere. Uh, we call, don't call it that on the site anywhere, but, but I like using that words or that word. So, uh, we still offer and a lot of our customers still use us for employee advocacy. Um, but the reason we started pivoting kind of towards the internal side was, uh, it was a good story because we had a, this is a, you know, four, four years back or so, we had a big enterprise client that was using Smart solely for, for employee advocacy and they were having a review meeting. So they had, you know, 500 seats or something on the, on the platform and they're going through the, going through the analytics and the, the users and, uh, they wanted to, you know, of course, get the max value out of the platform. So they noticed that there was a certain user that wasn't really, that wasn't sharing anything. So they looked at, looked at him and he had, you know, no activity that they could tell from the past, you know, six months or so. And they looked at this and they go, so, you know, this guy's just taking up a seat. Let's, uh, revoke his license. Let's bring in somebody new who might be more willing to share our content. So they did that. They kicked him out. They brought in somebody new. And the next day, the guy that got kicked out came back to their, to their company admins and said that, Hey, what happened to my smart, smart account? I can't, I can't log in. And they get, they go that, well, you know, we were looking, we were looking at the analytics and it didn't look like you were using it. You hadn't shared anything in six months. And you said that, well, yeah, I hadn't shared anything, but this was the only place I could go to stay up to date on what's happening in my company, in my industry. So at that point, it kind of clicked that, aha, you know, there's, there's something bigger here, uh, at, at play. And now, you know, even, even now when we're talking to, to our companies that, you know, use us for both internal and external, it always starts from the awareness piece. So getting your employees to understand and, and view your content. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So, so this is kind of bringing together everything from uh, marketing pieces, industry knowledge, uh, directories, contacts, anything that anyone who works at you know at an organization of size you know has some trouble with. You know, one of the things that that we discussed when we first met was institutional knowledge. Um, and how when you have a company of, uh, you know, let's call it 10 or 15 people, you have original players, you have a lot of institutional knowledge that is uh, housed within those people. Sure. Um, and that stuff from the early stages of a company is really gold. Um, as you have people leave or as your organization just grows bigger, the institutional knowledge either leaves the organization or it doesn't get codified for new people. And so, um, I mean, it sounds like, the smart solution is trying to solve this issue yeah. amongst others. Yes, yes, definitely. So, so yeah, that was a good that was a good discussion we had because, and it's actually, if you think about it, I I, I don't know what the exact you know number the the number is probably different for each organization, but once you grow past a certain uh, certain size, you know, employee employee wise, I think you know maybe seventy five, maybe a hundred. You start having people whose job it is to just know things. And now, because in the beginning, when you know you're, you're 10, 15, 20 people, it's easy to have everybody kind of, kind of know a little bit of everything. Everybody's doing a little marketing. Everybody's doing a little sales. Everybody's, you know, helping out in, in a lot of areas. But once you grow past a certain stage, you can't expect that from people anymore. So now, uh, now you really, that's when you really need a tool to help connect even individual individuals within the company uh, with, you know, the correct people. So now I, yeah, I can give an example, you know, maybe I'm, uh, uh, I produce a lot of our sales enablement content uh, for the company and I share all that on smart and make sure it's available. I put it into the sales channel, you know, customer success channels, you know, make sure all the relevant people see it. But now what happens is when a new person joins, you know, they have all that information that, oh, you know, it, Alex is, Alex has been creating and sharing all this, this content, uh, and this information. I had a question from a prospect or an existing customer related to X. I should probably go talk to Alex. So it's kind of, uh, bridging that gap. Um, and, Another point you mentioned was when people leave the company, what happens to that knowledge? Uh, the good thing is, you know, all of that kind of gets retained and it's still, even if, even if I were to leave the company, that information is still retained. Somebody can still find it and find all that information that I had uh, produced in the past. Absolutely. Um, so Smart is based in Finland. And, uh, you know, here, and of course all, all major cities do this, um, you know, like to make a big deal out of when there is a, uh, you know, relocation or an additional office from another city placed in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you know, recently we've seen a lot of West Coast companies opening up regional offices here. Um, it's a little bit rare that we see Finnish based companies opening up offices here. And so, you know, when, when I talked with you and, uh, Johanna, who runs, uh, the U.S. based operation, it was, um, God, I wish I could replay it. I mean, it was essentially a commercial for the Metro Atlantic Chamber of Commerce. It was, uh, they could, it couldn't have been better if they'd written it themselves. But uh, I'd like you to take everyone through kind of the process of one, deciding that you need an office in the U.S. and two, then deciding that Atlanta is that place. Sure. Absolutely. So, so first of all, the U.S. is, is our biggest market. We see the most traffic. We see, we have the, our, most of our clients are here and we just, uh, the opportunity really, really is here. 
um, and, and this is the place where people are starting to kind of recognize the challenge in communication and the shift in communication that I mentioned earlier from kind of going from us finding information to information finding us. Um, so we originally did have, we did have an office in New York City. Uh, our, this was, this was years ago. Our, our CEO and, and a few other employees were out there. Um, obviously now New York is a fairly expensive, expensive place to be. So we were lucky enough to be in a situation where we could start kind of looking at like we didn't necessarily have to be in New York. At the end of the day, the benefits of being in New York kind of are outweighed by the cost of, of operating there. So we started looking at other options. And uh, Atlanta was actually recommended to us from uh, a few other Finnish companies. So there are a few few other here. And then some some of the CEOs of companies in our investors' portfolios. So, so uh, famously, I think one of them said that, uh, that, so our CEO asked him that if you could do anything different, if you could go back and do anything different from when you guys expanded to the U.S., it was a company that had gone from Europe to the U.S. as well. If you could do anything different, what would it be? And he said that, you know, I would take every employee we have in New York and I'd put them in Atlanta. So, so the, uh, they now also have operations here and they've just noticed that it's a great place to kind of springboard into the U.S. market. So recommendations were one. Uh, that was a big thing. Uh, then, like I said, cost, cost of living, quality of living is very good in the city. And that's big for, especially because we relocate a lot of people from Finland to, uh, to Atlanta, myself included. Now, coming from Helsinki, which is often, or Finland in general, which is often considered, you know, one of the best places to live, one of the happiest countries in the world, great quality of living. Uh, it wasn't a big leap coming to Atlanta. I am lucky enough to live in Midtown. Our office is also in Midtown, so it's a 15-minute walk. Like I said, there's all sorts of things to do. I like being in the city, so so uh, that was another big one. And then the third, uh, the third thing is available talent. So... There are a bunch of great schools here. You know, we we're very close to Georgia Tech uh, as well. So you have a lot of great grads, uh, a lot of available talent in the city, and people tend to migrate out of Atlanta less. People like to be here, so the city is good at retaining that talent, uh, and people tend to c- migrate into Atlanta as well. Uh, so that was another big thing. So the availability of talent uh, was big for us. Well, let's talk about that talent. So you're you're staffing up um, in this Atlanta office. Yep. What type of functions are you hiring for? So mainly we are establishing a sales organization. So that's the that's the first step. So so sales, um, uh, customer success, and customer development roles are going to be the first. Uh, that's you know the next running up. Until the end of this year, we hope to have that kind of the initial version of that staffed out. Uh, but then we're really looking to grow this office as well. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact dollar amount we were anticipating and in investing. Uh, it was somewhere around $3 million in the next five years or something. So we really want to make the U.S. office one of our biggest, if not our biggest office. Uh, Helsinki is our headquarter. That's where most of our people are currently. But Clearly, the the market and the, the the kind of the the drive is in the United States. So, and any specific? I mean, look, obviously, you have a uh, you have a backyard full of Fortune one thousand companies to sell to. But um, 
Any specific types of industries that have been most successful for you in the past? Yeah, yeah. So we do, we tend to do really well with professional services companies. So you think accounting, uh, legal services, stuff like this. We work with, um, three of the big four. Um, we do well with tech. Uh, Amazon is, is one of our bigger, bigger customers. Uh, so just overall, typically companies that have a high, a large amount of, of white collar and like knowledge intensive workers that need access to information and don't have a lot of time to spend looking for that information. Um, these companies are also typically the ones that are producing a lot of information, whether it's, you know, externally facing stuff like thought leadership content, blog posts, videos, whatever. Uh, and because they have so many employees, that's also when it brings in the external side. So it's like a great resource for them, not just for the communications, but also for, you know, brand awareness as well. Okay. So you, you just answered my second to last question, which is why should someone call you? Um, so l last question. If someone wants to get in touch, how do they do that? <laughs> sure. So uh, you can find us online, smart.com. Uh, of course, there's contact information there. You can find us on all the the usual uh, social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, yeah, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Alexander Cardwell. So yeah, feel free to get in touch. And again, that is S-M-A-R-P, SMARP. All right. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. All right, Marshall, you've been sitting patiently. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. It's fascinating to hear all these stories. So I love it. Uh, you know, it. I, I, I tend to, um, I try and make it beneficial to be a bystander as well, uh, listening to other people's stories. So it's fascinating. It's like a front row seat on listening to the podcast, but I get to be here. It's, it's, it's there wonderful. you go. Right. Best of both worlds. Exactly. Um, so you and I met at a recent uh, event put on by Atlanta Inno called 50 on Fire. Um, why were you there? So I think Atlanta does a really good job of recognizing really exciting, growing and unique companies. And I think, um, Atlanta Inno is a really amazing and newer publication that does that specifically in the tech sector. And this 50 on fire event was, uh, I'm not exactly sure how they did the competition, but it was recognizing, uh, just 50 really amazing, outstanding Atlanta companies. Well, yes. Okay. So for, for, for those who missed it, he was being modest by not specifically saying that Vestigo was being honored there. <laughs> well, that's just a small part. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that was the part I was getting at there. Um, okay. So you, you've been recognized, um, by the Atlanta Inno, uh, organization. Um, and, you know, they had different categories there. Okay. And, you know, you've got a little bit of a non traditional business, um, certainly rooted in kind of, you know, team building and consulting. But tell me a little bit more about what Vestigo does. Yeah, for sure. It's I'd say it's a non-traditional approach to a problem that almost every company has. Okay. But definitely well said. Definitely different in terms of our take on it. So, uh, so my background is in uh, public health. I graduated from the University of Georgia. Uh, wanted to go to med school. Realized that uh, medicine wasn't exactly the the route for me. But I was really passionate about helping people live a more active and healthy lifestyle. And my campus job at the time was actually as a guide for the outdoor rec program, where we'd guide students on all kinds of really amazing outdoor experiences for the first time. And I got to see this firsthand effect that outdoor experiences, outdoor recreation had on individuals, especially from a public health standpoint. And I wanted to create a way to make those experiences more accessible. So when we first originally got started, 
we were a bit different from what we are now, but we built Airbnb experiences before Airbnb experiences built it is sort of the best way to describe it now that everyone knows what that is. So that came out about two years after we got started. And of course, we didn't want to compete with Airbnb. And it was a bit difficult for a first time founder to build a B2C uh, platform company. Um, and if anyone doesn't know what Airbnb experiences we are, we were creating uh, ways to access local guides for any kind of uh, outdoor recreation specific experience. So you could find a hiking guide, a climbing guide, or even someone just take you on a hike. So from there, we we pivoted a little bit away from the B2C side, started working with companies to use those experiences to create a more impactful type of team and culture building activity that actually got to the core root of what creates a powerful human connection between individuals. It's not sitting next to someone at a Braves game and having a surface level conversation you might have uh, in the office at lunch. It's actually getting in a new environment that's challenging, that's different, and overcoming that environment that might be something that's a bit intimidating together with your peers and admitting about the fact that it is maybe a little scary and it's a little tough. So we started using all these kinds of really amazing outdoor recreation experiences for team and culture building and have since then expanded far past the actual experience to really create this uh, cultural innovation building program for companies where we'll have both the outdoor experience that factors into uh, their goals and values as a company, but also we'll come into the office and have these really amazing uh, both outdoor adventure experts and leadership development facilitators talk through how the actual experience made an impact in their ability to give a pitch in front of the CEO in the boardroom, which might also be extremely scary, to tackle some type of uh, intimidating environment in the office and better overcome those perceived limits. Okay, so so the visual I have is like Tony Robbins in the woods, all right? So how 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 far off am I? It's got not, be- not too far off. Actually, really, sort of like yeah. that applied to company culture with the goal of making your company employees more innovative and creative. Okay, well, so I think when a lot of people might think of a, a team building exercise, they think of something cheesy like a trust fall or you know like a you know super easy little ropes course. Okay, so how do you go in and specifically get to know a culture and design a program for that culture? Yeah, that's a great question. So our, our trust falls are 100 foot rappels off cliffs and <laughs> things like that. A little bit different from the typical trust fall. But, yeah. um, but you're right. The first step is, is very specific to the companies we work with. So every company has that base need to create a culture of innovation and to empower people to constantly have the mindset of challenging themselves, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's the culture that innovative products and innovative processes will come out of. So that's kind of the base layer of everything that we do in all experiences. But of course, every company has their own goals, their own core values. And we try to use the experience as a way to emphasize those goals or values. So the first step is we really dive into what are your core values as a company? What are some of the big problems that uh, that you have, some of the big opportunities that are coming up? And then we take that knowledge that we gain from those first initial discussions discovery meetings. And we create a series of experiences that best emphasize those goals and values from a physical experiential standpoint, where we actually make very powerful analogies between the actual experience and those goals themselves. So like, for instance, to give you an example, one of the experiences we do is a intro whitewater kayaking experience on the uh, the Metro Hooch. So it's right at the intersection of 75 and 85, not too far away. You can get there. Most Atlantic companies can get there in 20 minutes. 
Uh, and that's actually the section of water that the uh, 1996 Olympic paddlers trained on for the Olympics. Oh. Nothing crazy. It's, you know, there's no waterfalls there, but it's enough to practice the fundamentals of whitewater kayaking. And we'll put people in two-person uh, two inflatable kayaks where they have to work together as a team to navigate the changing environment. So, of course, if their core value or their one of their goals was, um, for instance, uh, don't be afraid of change or seek out change. And of course the river and the current is always moving and changing in different ways. And we'll teach people how to navigate that change and use that to their advantage. So for instance, in whitewater kayaking, there might be a rock in front of you and that rock might look like an obstacle, but in reality at the back end of the rock, it blocks the flow and is a nice calm pool of water that you can actually get to and use as an opportunity to reset and tackle the flow from a new perspective, from a new angle. So we'll make all these analogies between the experience and the actual goal we want to emphasize so that it really sticks in people's heads and they can actually practice that with someone else. Okay, so that is a very specific Atlanta example. Um, and obviously right now, you know, as a, you know, as a young company, um, I'm sure you're taking advantage of a lot of opportunities in your own backyard of Atlanta. Um, this is a, it sort of relies on, you know, someone being there to present this, right? This is not really a virtual um, capability, although I know I, I do want to talk about virtual reality with you, okay? Um, so as you grow outside of Atlanta, how do you still kind of keep that human touch? Is it you've got to have bodies on the ground in any market? You've got to have people who really uh, know those sort of activities. How do, you, uh, how do you do that outside of the metro Atlanta area? That's a really great question. Um, so there's sort of two parts to that answer. We... Uh, as much as we do love using technology to accomplish this as well, like you knew I was going to talk about virtual reality probably when, when you asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a component. But as much as we want to be a tech company, we also understand the value of, of just real in-person experiences. I was just watching Ready Player One the other day, and one of the big quotes at the end was that nothing beats reality because reality is real. And you know, there's so many tech companies that are an online platform that sort of take the human element out of it. We never want to lose that. So one of the core pieces of what we're doing is that there are so many amazing experiences within driving distance of practically every uh, city in, in America and across the world. We can always leverage those local experiences to create these really powerful local experiences using local guides that are in the area. And of course, our, we really um, make a lot of effort to make sure that the guides who are leading our experiences are trained just as much in the facilitation and the leadership development training side of things as they are in the outdoor recreation side. Uh, but there's always going to be amazing people locally that know those spots, know how to facilitate those experiences, and can make sure that the in-person experiences are still really powerful. But then, of course, we also are factoring in a lot of ways we we can use technology to have experiences that anyone can participate in, regardless of whether your employees are in Atlanta or not. So for instance, you could take part of your team from Helsinki and the team here in Atlanta and actually both do something together uh, virtually through some virtual reality experiences, which is really a fascinating time to start doing that now. Because if anyone follows virtual reality, who's listening, uh, Facebook uh, owns Oculus. Oculus just released the Oculus, released the Oculus Quest, which is the first uh, mobile headset that allows you to move around in three-dimensional space without being tethered to a computer and having pretty impressive uh, quality graphics. So now people can actually put the headset on and interact with other people that are um, maybe somewhere across the room or across the world and feel like they're actually there. So we can create an experience where maybe you're tightrope walking across the Grand Canyon and it sort of feels like you're actually there. Of course, it's not as, as powerful as actually doing something, but it's convincing enough to the brain to actually release the same, neuro the same neurotransmitters, um, same neurochemicals in environment that actually give 
gives you the effect that you would when you were repelling off a cliff for the first time. So when you, when you meet with the, okay, like you, you have described for some very serious, intense activities. Okay. And I can imagine a group of people in, let's say your large company, you're dealing with, um, the marketing department. Okay. I can imagine half the people who would say, hell yeah, let's do this. And I can imagine, you know, there'd be maybe 20% of people that say, I'm really not comfortable with this whatsoever. But obviously you want everyone to bond. You want everyone, you know, the whole point is that it's not a clique of people, right? Everyone is getting to know each other. How do you bridge that gap between doing something intense and powerful, but also, um, uh, you know, keeping people's comfort levels in thought? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you have to have psychologically for what we do to really make a difference. Cause of course we're, we're training people to be comfortable with navigating unknown and unique environments, comfortable with, with change essentially. And a lot of people are not comfortable with change or comfortable getting outside of their comfort zone. And that's okay. We want to try to create environments that allow everyone to progress at their own level. So the virtual reality is actually a really great way for someone that maybe, of course we have a list uh, a range of different um intensities in terms of the experiences we do uh, you know whitewater kayaking could be more in the middle but something as simple as you know a mile hike is very accessible um even if someone doesn't necessarily want to sign up for a physical experience the virtual reality experiences can be a really great way to get started they don't necessarily even have to be um you know adventure related of course there's a lot of research in terms of why adventure sports actually are the um, most effective, efficient, and fastest way to get to the headspace you need to have those types of um, kind of revelations that allow you to be more innovative and creative. But something as simple as like one of our virtual reality, virtual reality experiences is uh, two teams working together to diffuse this bomb in a time limit. And the bomb is obviously a virtual bomb. So the person that's in the virtual reality headset has to describe, okay, there's a blue wire and a green wire and a red wire. And then the other group has to say, okay, well, based on the configura- configurations of those wires, you cut this one. If you do the wrong thing, you lose. And it's a lot of teamwork. But uh, because there's intense, you know, James Bond music in the background and the timer is counting down, <laughs> it makes you it makes you have the same kind of emotional response as something that might be adventure related, even though it has nothing to do with outdoor adventure. So it's more of the mindset of practicing getting outside of your comfort zone. That's important. You know, when I, when I hear you talk about this, I hear a lot of organizational psychology Absolutely. coming through. Um, now, it's not like you have a PhD in organizational psychology, but clearly a major in it. Uh, well, okay. So, so I was going to say, cl- clearly you are well-versed in it and take a lot of those lessons um, into the core of the company. Absolutely. We do. Okay. So one other thing that I think is very exciting is you guys have a podcast. We do. Yeah. I always love coming out of the podcast because I think yeah. it's fascinating to, to see how other people do it. But yeah. We, uh, we host a podcast called Inside the Adventure where we interview a lot of the people who've actually since then helped come and actually facilitate some of our experiences. But we'll interview anyone who's done something really remarkable in the outdoor adventure travel space. They could be someone who's founded an outdoor company. So we have actually a lot of really amazing business leaders like the founder of uh, Osprey, the VP of Patagonia have come on our show. But then we also have amazing athletes such as uh, the 1996 um, uh, Olympic gold medalist for uh, whitewater paddling. Joe Jacoby was our very first guest. He actually leads that section, uh, the segment that we do on the Metro Hooch um, and uh, all of these amazing people that specifically talk about how they had to have a particular mindset to accomplish these amazing goals that they had. And those mindsets are actually what we're trying to help 
to instill in the companies we work with. So we, there's a big connection between the podcast and, and our content, what we do on the experience where we'll actually have people listen to particular podcast episodes to hear the stories of particular people that are relevant to the activity we're about to do. And then some of those podcast guests will actually come help us facilitate those experiences. That is very cool. All right. So, and, and I've, I've, I can vouch for this. I've listened to the podcast and these people are just as bad as you could, as you could ever imagine. They're amazing. Yeah. Okay. So it is called Inside the Adventure. Anyone listening to this, once you're done listening to our show, you go to your podcast app and type in Inside the Adventure. You guys have a ton of episodes, like 75 or something. Yeah. So we, um, we did 75 for season one and we're actually launching season two in two weeks, I believe from now. Have you found it, so you've used it as sort of a, I guess, training or preparation mechanism for those um, who have are going to use Vestigo services. Have you found it uh, helpful from a marketing perspective? It's been okay from a marketing perspective. Um, the I think the real benefit has been a really amazing way to just get in touch with really incredible people that I selfishly just really want to have a conversation with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, personally, I, I love anything to do with, uh, you know, outdoor recreation sports. Um, and these are the leading people in every single sport that, that you'd ever hear of anything from, you know, ski based jumping to something more conventional, like, um, you know, uh, scuba diving or mountain biking there's these the leaders and all these incredible sports are really pushing it to the limits um and i uh, personally just love uh having these amazing conversations but we use it um really strategically as a way to kind of have that really inspirational content that we can deliver before and after our experiences um so that the people that are coming on our experiences before they come on them can actually get in the right mindset and then afterwards can can use their experience to relate to what the guest is actually saying on, on the episode. But in terms of a marketing perspective, it's, it's been decent. Um, not super great, but, um, but of course that's not, wasn't really our, our initial aim with it, but it yeah, has been really it'd be a nice little externality if it, if right. it was, but, exactly. um, are, are you primarily sort of when you're selling your services, are you primarily going into a company through HR? Um, we, we usually actually start a little bit, um, a little bit higher up. So we, because the main focus of what we do is based around creating a culture of innovation, that mm-hmm. innovation is the real key piece. Of course, we definitely will work with HR and the chief people officer, uh, whose job is culture. But when it comes to the innovation component, we, uh, a lot of the feedback we've gotten, um, from the COO or the CEO or the leadership of a company is that finding ways to make their employees more innovative, more willing to get outside their comfort zone, try something new, um, in the hopes that it will help differentiate them and set them apart uh, from the the you know the old way of thinking about things. That's kind of the main problem that we hear from higher up. So we try to work initially with the CEO or the COO, um, and then have HR kind of be our partner in facilitating it. But a lot of times, if we start directly with HR, then um, sort of the the goal of what we do to get people outside of their comfort zone using experiences like this sometimes scares HR away if we just start there. <laughs> yeah. But it, it depends. I, I could see that. Okay, so so C-suite executives, if you're listening and you want your employees to have a great team building experience that lasts, Marshall, how can they get a hold of you at Vestigo? Yeah, if you just Google Vestigo, V-E-S-T-I-G-O, you'll find us. Uh, Vestigo.co is our URL. You can always uh, reach out to us on LinkedIn, Marshall Mosher on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook. Send us a carrier pigeon, whatever works best. Great. 
All right, guys. Uh, to everyone who joined, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.